Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. It's Boxing Day. Happy Boxing Day, Wendy. Oh, thanks. Happy Boxing Day to you too, Mike. That's right. December 26th, the day after Christmas. The day after we unbox. Happy Boxing Day to everybody in the UK Commonwealth out there. Hope you're having a good time, and I hope everybody had an excellent Christmas. Wendy, how was your Christmas? Did Santa bring you everything you wanted? Oh, it was lovely. Yes. Just a good time with the family. That's that's kind of best thing. <laughs> what was your favorite present? Did you get a good present you really liked? Yeah, I got a neat little, uh, this, I forgot what it's called. It's like a foot pod thing that you use for running and it helps to monitor your steps like when you're not using the GPS. So I've been doing a lot of treadmill running lately Okay, and supposedly it will help me with that. Okay, so that's fun. (laughs) And then my brother gave me a uh, 3D printed whistle that he made and it's a super loud whistle. So if we ever need to get everybody's attention... Or if you're ever planning on, uh, you know, like working as a referee at a football game or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you now have the qualifications of kind of knowing some of the rules of football and having a loud whistle. But yeah, just all kinds of nice, very nice gifts. Got a nice scarf and thoughtful things. Okay. How about you? Uh, what well, did Santa bring you? Well, Santa didn't bring me that much because Santa brought everything for my daughter. So, oh, so that's like, right. Yeah, once you have a kid, the kid gets all the presents. But she had a lot of fun toys. And you get Christmas to enjoy stuff. watching your daughter play with the toys, right? Yes, yeah, so we've already been playing with some of the toys in the storybooks cool. and everything. And, and that's nice. It already got her in like the Christmas onesie. And that's nice. <laughs> so that's good. What was her favorite gift? Her favorite gift is there's this like little octopus with a sailor's hat on. And it's, it's like <laughs> holding a mirror and a rattle. And Aww. so we were having some octopus time before. I said, this is to prepare her because I'm like, oh, somebody gave her a stuffed Cthulhu for Christmas. <laughs> perfect. And I'm like, perfect. Like, so she'll understand the elder gods right away. There you go. But no, it was real cute. And that was fun. Uh, Allison from Milwaukee Ghost, she got me a, a trip to the escape room. There's an escape room in Milwaukee. Oh, cool. And uh, so she's like, we're going to have to, we're going to go to the escape room sometime this year. And that's, that's, I thought that was my favorite. It might be a fun present. Yeah, so she's going to go with you. You're not yes. going to just go and get locked in there by yourself, we're, are you? We're going to try to escape together. Well, the thing is, <laughs> we'll see if we try to escape together, actually, or if it has to be like only one person, like two two people <laughs> enter, one person leaves. And, you know, I was like, so this is like a Saw-type situation, like where only one of us can get out alive? <laughs> oh, that's horrible. Yeah, and the thing is, um, right, if she dies, I get her ghost tour. I think that was the deal. So that's going to oh, happen. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, that was a, didn't, didn't your sister do an escape room, Wendy? I think she might have. Someone we know did. I, I, thought, I thought it might have been your sister. And, and because you saw her for the holiday, I assume she succeeded. Well, if she did, yeah. I, right. I don't She's, remember talking to her about okay, it. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought, I thought I saw she did an escape room sometimes. I'm like, hey, wait, she escaped. That's fantastic. So she's still alive. Yes, that's great. <laughs> so, all right. Everybody, hope you had an awesome Christmas out there. And the next time we talk to you will be in 2017. So make sure that you have a great new year, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's that, right. That's right. And so for our final guest of 2016, we've got a very cool book by a New York playwright and screenwriter and now a UFO journalist by the name of Ryan Sprague. And so Ryan uh, hosts a podcast called Into the Fray, and it's a pretty interesting podcast, and he's a... Um, interesting guy that had his own ufo experience and that's what kind of inspired him to get on the ufo tip so his book somewhere over the skies a human approach to ufos was just released in november and we bring him on to talk about it let's go this is a special treat today. First of all, it's it's always enjoyable to do a podcast with family when it comes close to the holidays. So Allison from Milwaukee Ghosts, welcome. Oh, thanks, Mike. I'm glad to be here today. This was your idea to bring on uh, this wonderful writer. And I've been listening to him in a couple different podcasts and his interviews are always outstanding. And so uh, we're welcoming today, Ryan Sprague. Ryan, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, guys. Um, I I love your show, and it's such an honor and pleasure to be uh, 
to be on here today this early. So thank you. <laughs> right. right. This is early, early on Friday before Christmas is the day we're recording this. And so if you guys are un- unfamiliar, Ryan Sprague is a New York playwright who also has a keen interest in UFOs. He recently wrote Somewhere in the Skies, A Human Approach to an Alien Phenomena. And it's a super interesting book. Recommend you guys pick it up. And also for the uh, next couple of months, all the proceeds go to charity. Isn't that right, Ryan? Yes. Yeah. Uh, thanks for mentioning that, man. Um, for the months of December and uh, all of January, profits of the profits, uh, my personal profits go to the Women's Refugee Commission. Um, it's a cause I believe heavily in. Uh, we've got, you know, God. Over 60 million refugees around the world right now, um, and the women they they feel they feel it most. So um, anything we can do here in New York City to make these people feel welcome and uh, and to just have a home and feel safe like the rest of us. Sure. Uh, that's all. That's all we can do. So you can do something nice over the holiday season if you pick up Ryan's book somewhere in the skies. But let's talk about how we got to that book in the first place. So, uh, Ryan, where are you from originally? Uh, I'm originally from Syracuse, New York, in the upstate area. Uh, so I definitely feel the pain of your winters there, guys. It gets <laughs> right, pretty so you cold get it. up there, too. You get it. <laughs> and, Ryan, when did you start getting an interest in uh, UFOs? Like, when did it, it kind of hit you? Were you a little kid? Was it an experience? Was it in high school? When did you say, like, because oh, when you're writing a book on UFOs, that is a full commitment to being a weirdo. We, we love it. And so <laughs> when did that interest hit you? Yeah, um, it definitely hit me. Uh, in 1995, I was 12 years old. So yeah, I was definitely a kid. I, um, I had a UFO sighting. Uh, I was on a weekend getaway with my parents uh, to the St. Lawrence River, uh, which runs all through upstate New York, uh, kind of borders Canada as well. Okay. And I was fishing off the dock one night listening to Green Day on my headphones. And all right, pretty I, sweet. Yeah, the Dookie album of all things, one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I I'm fishing. It's dark out, and I noticed these three white lights uh, reflecting off the water. So you know, naturally, I look up and I think I'm going to see a plane, and it was not a plane, man. Uh, it was the three white lights and sort of this like red orange sphere ball, like a hazy. Uh, I, I never know how to describe that part of it. Kind of like a sun. If you like okay. took the sun and threw it in the middle of this thing. Um, I could not see any sort of like metallic structure to it, but I couldn't see the stars behind this thing. And uh, so I ripped my headphones off. You know, I'm, I'm waiting to hear this, whatever this jet is or this plane is. And were you giving yourself that was basket case playing in this? <laughs> I imagine when you said you were listening to Dookie and I could just think like sometimes I give myself the creeps and you're yeah, looking man. up and then you see that this, this <laughs> magical sun in the sky. It could not have been any more appropriate. I'm pretty sure basket case was on at the time or um, <laughs> maybe log view. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> it was a very appropriate uh, moment. Very cinematic. Um, but Perfect. yeah, I, I take the headphones off. I couldn't hear anything, dude. Like there was nothing. I and it just uh, even at twelve, I knew like this isn't normal. Like this isn't like how a plane <laughs> acts right. in all conventional terms. Um, so I start yelling for my dad. He's inside our motel, um, watching a Yankees game of all things. Sure, and there's no pulling him away from that. Uh, <laughs> so I run in really quick. I grab him to come out. And he comes out and he does see the tail end of this thing as it's sort of drifting off in the distance. Um, You know, he thought it was a plane. Uh, I knew different. I saw this thing Mm -hmm. directly over me. And um, to this day, I'm still convinced that whatever it was, it looked like it actually went into the water. It was it was going off into the distance. Now, obviously, I can't prove that. I can't prove any of it. But um, yeah, it was freaky, man. And I, I, I became obsessed after that. Um, what I, is your what did your dad say? I mean, was your dad like that was something weird, or was he like, don't talk about this again? Like, <laughs> do not mention this to your mother. What did he? I mean, what did he say? Right, about that? right. There's been many times in my life where I where he's had to say, don't tell your mother. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, with this, he was kind of like, you know, just huh, that that that's interesting. It is it probably a plane? So you know, he did entertain it, and the next day he went to the. The owner of the motel we were staying at, he's like, did anyone like see anything weird last night? He's like, what do you mean weird? He's like, like something in the sky. He's like, oh, it's like people see, you know, 
people do claim to see UFOs over the water a lot. So that oh, scares wow. the crap out of me. Oh. <laughs> so um, there had been other reports. Incredible. Other reports in the area. Yeah. yeah. Enough. So, so it got back to the, to the hotel owner. That's, that's really something. Right. You know, which is more than most people can say. A lot of people who have UFO sightings, they never report it to anyone. Um, I didn't know about the, you know, MUFON at the time right. or any of that kind of stuff. So, you know, unreport, unreported other than to me and this motel owner. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, I, I became obsessed after that. You know, that, that fear I had turned to obsession and it was kind of a snowball effect from there. I started taking out book after book on UFOs and the rest is kind of history. And it was, and 95 was the glory days of the X-Files too. You know, like that was, I remember like, you know, that's where you could just, you know, X-Files t-shirts and hats and, and I had, I, I had my yeah. share, of course. Um, <laughs> I wasn't, a, I wasn't allowed to watch that show at that age, unfortunately. All right. <laughs> okay. Too scary, but that's, that's cute. Uh, that's fun. Bit. Yeah, it has a so, TV 14 rating, doesn't it? I think so. <laughs> well, this was before the days of the V-chip, so then you couldn't even do that. But, okay, so when you started getting obsessed, and uh, what were some of the first books or magazines or, or things that you consumed when you were getting into UFOs for the first time? Yeah, so this is, this is, um, this was during the advent of AOL. So, I mean, okay. you've got all these, you know, fringe websites popping up, um, uh, chat rooms, if any of our your listeners remember those. Um, of course. You know, I'd, I'd sneak into the basement where a computer was at midnight once my parents were asleep, and I'd, you know, I'd hop on there, <laughs> and um, I, I'd get in these chat rooms and start, you know, asking people about sightings, faux sightings, and conspiracy theories. And um, so I'd say that's kind of where it started, and that was a rabbit hole for sure. Um Book-wise, I, I distinctly remember the first book I ever saw on UFOs was um, Crash at Corona, which was about the Roswell UFO incident. Oh, and yeah. That was written by uh, Stanton Friedman, you know, the godfather of ufology. Um, yeah, the, I always think about his beard. It's the first thing when I think about yep. Stanton Friedman. I think I'm like, like that beard is always so, like, it's that does, his like, defining feature to me is it, that. It is. makes us like, so distinguished. It, it does, that beard. You know, him and J.L. and Heidek, it's, it, there's something about the beards and ufology. I, I got to mm -hmm. start growing what I think. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've, I've got one, but here. it's usually just messy and it is never, I'm never going to be big in this field until I figure out some kind of distinctive <laughs> beard that can happen. Who That's right, a little salt and pepper, Mike. That never hurts either. I'm, hey, I'm, I, every day I get it? older, so I'm working on it. <laughs> so, so, um. There's so many books um, on UFOs. I mean, what, what led you to write your own? So this was, um, I, I will be honest, it was always a dream to write a book about the topic. I'd been writing, I really got serious about writing about UFOs in college. Uh, I started finding all these old Omni magazines and Fate magazine. And I was like, mm. this is pretty cool. Like, you know, these short little digestible articles about UFOs. I don't have to spend, you know... Um, years reading through facts and the books and blah, 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 blah. Um, and I started writing for some alternative magazines. Uh, Open Minds Magazine was the first one I got oh, sure. involved with. Yeah, and they, they were a, a great linchpin for me. They really sort of uh, catered my writing career about UFOs. And um, yeah, that's, that's where I probably got involved most with the writing. And I would write these short objective articles, two, three pages, you know, and I, I couldn't really tell my opinion. I had to just state the facts. And um, mm -hmm. I wanted to find a way to, uh, to do it with my own voice and bring my own thoughts and theories about what these UFOs and possible alien contact could be. And that's when I decided to approach my publisher uh, my, my now publisher with the idea mm -hmm. to write a book. You also write plays and, uh, you know, that's uh, really your, your main artistic, uh, form of expression. Do you, do any of your plays are, are like they about UFOs or do you, do you sneak like little UFO references in, um, to maybe some of the characters? Absolutely. Um, the, the major play I'm working on developing right now is about the 1980 Rendlesham forest ufo encounter oh. back in 1980 yeah um you know tons of military personnel witnessed ufos landing 
in Britain during the Cold War while they're housing nuclear weapons on their uh, military base. It's crazy. If anyone doesn't know about it, go check it out. Um, Yeah, and so you've probably interviewed or talked to Peter Robinson because he's a New York guy too. Yes, he is. Peter... um, Peter is my soul brother, guys. He is my mentor, my Obi-Wan, as it were. Okay, uh, awesome. Yeah, he uh, he really has taken me under his wing. Um, his book, Left at East Gate, was a British bestseller about the Rendlesham case. And well, it was one of the first books that I... This thing's over like 500 pages long. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge, man. It's like a Bible. And uh, I read it front to back like three times in a row. And I said, I have to contact this guy. So I did. And we've become friends ever since. He also comes from the world of theater here in New York City. So we have so many connections um, that have led us down these paths, both with theater and UFOs. And, uh, and he's, a, he's, a fa- he's a fascinating guy. definitely made guy. it bleed oh. into my, uh, my plays. He is. He really is. Like uh, 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 one of the nights at the Paradigm Symposium, I just sat there and listened to him tell stories about... Um, CBGBs and stuff and you know, like the New York punk scene in the 1970s. And I just, I just was like sitting there like, I'm like, tell me more about Debbie Harry. Like, let's keep going on this. And it just was super fun. Uh, you were uh, just yeah. entranced, Mike. Entranced. I know the feeling, man. His, right. his sister was you know, like a huge revolutionary uh, person in the punk scene back in the mm-hmm. early days. Um, and it's, it's fascinating hearing him tell stories about the, the glory days. and uh, Right. The, it just makes me jealous. I'm like, do. <laughs> so that's awesome that you're working on a play about the, the Rendlesham medicine, which really, I think in the U.S., we don't know enough about. And it, it goes, um, I mean, I'd say that because it's from 1980, we, there's so many more people who are alive that still have memories of it and experiences. It's not like when you go back and talk about Roswell. When you talk about Roswell now, everybody's dead. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point, man. This is a ongoing case. Uh, a lot of the witnesses are still here to tell their stories. And a new guy came forward last week, like no joke, um, saying about, like, about what he had seen that night and cooperating other people's stories from those three consecutive nights in 1980. So it is it is the British Roswell, as we call it. And right. um, it is. It, it's not that well known here in the States. So, again, I highly suggest people check it out. It is a fascinating case. And if you're looking for proof that, like, UFOs are... Uh, let's get past the idea that UFOs aren't real. They're real. They're unidentified. They're out there. We're seeing them. Yeah, um, there's, something, there's something happening. You saw something, you know, yeah. and... It, and especially when British people talk about it, it seems more believable because of that accent. <laughs> it's, it's so like, eloquent. Oh, right. You're just like, of course it's real because this British guy told me it's real. Like, I've, I've, been believing that, I've been believing them ever since I've been watching documentaries on PBS when I was eight years old. Exactly. They never tell a lie. <laughs> <laughs> they can't. That's the wonderful thing. But so droll. With the um, exception of maybe the Revolutionary War. I mean, everything about right, that, that was, was a, perfect. That was a, that was a blip. <laughs> That was you, a blip. Ellison, you can't prove that happened. <laughs> oh, right, I see. You're, you're an American revolutionary uh, uh, denier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. He's a truther when it comes to revolution. Yeah, let's so, get into politics. <laughs> so what we should get into is, you know, what are the cases that you brought when you were doing research for your book and trying to bring something new in, in your own voice to the, the field of UFO journalism? What were some of the cases that you wanted to explore that maybe you felt like hadn't been explored enough and you thought you could bring your unique perspective to it? Yeah. So a lot of the people in the book, guys, they um, this is their first time coming forward. So this isn't, you know, these aren't cases that people have heard a million times before. Um and I, that's, that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to show everyday people are having these experiences. Um, these aren't people up on stage at all these UFO conferences preaching, you know, to the choir, as it were. These are um, law enforcement professors, uh, doctors. Uh, I've got a priest in the book. It, um, so, yeah, uh, one of my favorites was a UFO sighting uh, that happened to a retired radio man um, from the Coast Guard named Scott. And this happened back in 1974 in Cuyahoga Falls, Ohio. Um, I'd love to tell this story. If you... Oh, yeah. We love to hear stories. We live cool. for stories. Cool. Awesome. Let's do it. Get by the campfire. <laughs> Especially about the Cuyahoga. Like, it's always such a funny, when you're driving out to the East Coast, you always got to pass that, you know, Cuyahoga Falls, mm-hmm. Ohio. And so it's always like, I don't even know how to pronounce that. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> now we know. And now we know it's qu- apparently a UFO hotspot. Um, yes. 
So, yeah, 1974, Scott is um, at a drive-in theater with his friend. You know, they're, they're making a Friday night of it, seeing a double feature, maybe pick up a girl or two. Um, young dudes just out for the weekend. and um, The 70s, baby. It's the 70s, yeah. <laughs> God, I can't even imagine what else they were doing. Now, Scott has made it clear that he was not on any sort of substance this night. Because that is one of my first questions to all these Absolutely. People. It has Especially because be. it's like 1974 and you think it's going to be like dazed and confused. Right, right. Well, they definitely were dazed and confused, but I'll get to that. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, let's see. Uh, so, yeah, um, they're, they're getting ready for the movie to start. And they notice over the movie screen in the distance um, this big chevron-shaped object coming towards them, like a boomerang. Like, what is that? Is it like, is it a blimp? Is it pr- a promotional thing from the movie? Um, but as it gets closer, it's clear that uh, this is not any type of blimp. This is a metallic structured craft um and it was making absolutely no noise you know kind of like what i experienced back in 95 um you know scott told me that uh it was so massive from tip to tip that it it covered the entire parking lot of the drive-in theater so that thing it had to be huge um so at this point everyone is getting out of their cars they're just staring up at this thing some people start freaking out um, they try to start their cars to leave and none of their cars would start. Um, and we've heard this a lot of times with the UFO sightings too. It's very mm-hmm. close encounters esque where everything just shuts down. Um, so at this point it's directly above them. And Scott remembers feeling like time sort of slowed down. Everything around him was hazy and, uh, just, just very weird. Um, and he remembers as the thing started to drift away, everyone's cars started to start up again. Uh, Time seemed to go back to normal. Um, But the weirdest thing about this, guys, is after this huge thing drifted off and disappeared, um, (laughs) Scott goes to use the bathroom at the drive-in theater. Like, that is his immediate reaction. Like, nothing had just happened. Um, And nobody is talking about it. People are in line to get popcorn. They're in line to go to the restroom. And nobody's talking about this huge boomerang UFO that just drifted right over their heads. Um, And this, Scott tells me, this is because he didn't remember it happening. He thought, like, there was just sort of a glitch in the Matrix, as it were. Right. And uh, nobody spoke about it. He gets back in the car. They watch the entire movie, him and his friend, and then they go home. Um, and it isn't until many years later that he sees a UFO book in a bookstore and it triggered the memory. Everything just flooded in and he remembered it happening. So he starts freaking out at this point, you know, like he, he has this like blocked memory just start coming forward about this event. So he starts trying to find anyone who was there that night, you know, maybe another friend that was there, the friend that was in the car with him and he can't find anyone. So this is really affecting him. You know, he, this whole event is kind of resting on this one man's shoulders. Um, so I can't even imagine the struggle with having such an experience and having no one to sort of corroborate it. But uh, I'll tell you, like, I believe him. This guy was so sincere. He spent so much time in the Coast Guard. How'd you find him? How did I find him? He, he actually reached out to me uh, when I started my research. Um, I put out a lot of feelers on Facebook and you know, the glory of social networking these days is, you know, mm-hmm. you're open to everyone around the world in an instant. And um, Scott came to me and he said, look, man, I don't talk about this much, um, but I'm retired now. I just retired from my post office job and um, I'd love to tell you my story. And of course, I'm like, yeah, cool. I'd love to hear it. And as soon as he, he left me a voicemail with the entire incident, um, he left me about six voicemails because it kept cutting him off, unfortunately. Um <laughs> And I was just astounded after he told me this story and just the sincerity in his voice and the detail he had with it. Um, I had no doubt that something definitely happened to him back in 74. This is something that even in our last episode, we interviewed Reverend John Polk and he, and he had a, he had a story about uh, a weird experience that they had at, at a UFO experiencers uh, convention in Maine uh, a couple years back yeah. where these weird people beings were with, you know, they were seen by several people. And as, as soon as they left, everybody acted like nothing had happened. 
you know, and it kind of, it was a memory happening later of like, Hey, you know, you remember those, you know, those, those weird guys that were here a couple of minutes, like, was their skin blue? Do you guys remember that skin blue? Uh, you know, so, and, and so that kind of thing. And when we were interviewing, uh, Josh Cutchen last month, he was talking too about how people, when they have some of the, the, the smell fairy experiences and stuff that, you know, it, it's, it's like you just go on with the rest of your day. Like it's like your perception has changed. Like our, like our reality is being manipulated for us. Yeah. And yeah, have, well, let's, you, let's unpack that a little bit. I mean, mm -hmm. cause I think there's a lot of components going on. I mean, mm -hmm. I know in my own experience, like um, Mike and I were, were at a haunted venue in spring and, mm -hmm. you know, supposedly haunted, I should say. And right. um, I was presenting there and then we did the podcast there. And because it's a place that really promotes its ghost, you know, any, any place that really promotes it as a selling point, I mean, mm -hmm that stretches credulity for me. So I didn't really think much of it. And so I'm stowing something under a table, you know, setting up for the podcast. And I, I look up and I see a, a white orb, like with my eyes mm. and it just flew by my head, like just by my ear. And then, you know what? I just went on with what I was doing. I didn't even tell anyone. Yeah. And even later, even later, we were after the podcast, everything's all done. We were having a paranormal investigation upstairs. You think I would have mentioned that. But, I, right. you know, this happened on a Saturday where, you know, you get this orb flying by your head, but it happens just like that. It's so right. Funny. And um, so it flies by my head. I go on with what I'm doing like nothing happened. And then I don't even realize that it happened until Monday after work, I call Mike and I tell him what I just told you. But right. so I don't know what happened there. I don't think anything really uh, was trying to do that to me, trying to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, suppress, you know, maybe it was just me and my inability, even though I'm all about this stuff. So imagine people who, um, you know, aren't interested or, you know, just don't have an appreciation for the unusual. You know, what, what must it be like for them? Because I am waiting. I'm living for these kind of experiences right. and and right. i don't even process you it like lovecraftian madness allison like oh, it was it was yeah. so you were so you were not driven mad your mind had to stop but right. you know i think that i think that's funny and when you and you said that ryan you said glitch in the matrix before too mm -hmm. and i don't know if you guys have been watching westworld at all not the, yet i've heard amazing things though well i i won't spoil Only the classic it, it, one and the classic it is the classic one is Only great i mean you renner you will, my man, you will, and Richard Benjamin. I love Richard Benjamin. Yes. What a stud back in the seventies. But, <laughs> but on Westworld, you know, obviously there's, there's a ton of robots and mm -hmm. androids and spoilers, Mike, <laughs> I'm not going to spoil it, but the, the whole idea, like they, when they pull them out of the park and then they have to reprogram on them or do something, it's just like, you know, they instantly forget that, or they have little words they use in, in the programming to turn them off or to, you know, change their behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's how I, I feel some of these events are when you say like, you know, these guys forgot about it. The cars didn't start. It's like they're coming in and they are reprogramming us. Like we would program the, the robots in, in Westworld. Mm -hmm. And you know, we were talking to Josh Cutchin and the, the paranormal smells and that there's so much sulfur and brimstone of smell associated with a lot of these events yeah. i just it, it leads me to think that sulfur is like maybe that's that's our chemical agent that uh you know turns our minds or into program mode or something yeah, like that's, that that's crazy right. you mentioned that man i didn't mean to cut you off there but um what joshua brings forward is so true um, and I have found that pattern as well with a lot of these experiencers who say they've been abducted. You know, if they think this happened in the physical realm, they were literally taken from their home, brought onto some sort of alien craft. A lot of them report smelling that sulfur scent um, or aroma, as it were. Um, that's very interesting. Um, I haven't mm -hmm. read Joshua's book yet, but the fact that that's where he took it, um, that intrigues me because that is also a pattern I found um, with a lot of these experiencers. And you're right. You do have to wonder, is this like a mechanism they use to, um, you know, men in black with the memory thing eraser? Um, or like you said, Allison, is this... Uh, is this our innate human nature to, we can't really perceive what we're seeing in that moment. Let's either uh, sort of mold it into something we are familiar with, or 
let's just shut down and forget that it even happened. Um, or, or maybe it's knows? a little bit of both. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry to maybe cut you is. off now, but you know, maybe it's a little bit of both. Like we have this natural tendency to just discount things that that uh, you know aren't part of our regular experience, or or just yeah. put them aside, or or forget, uh, yeah. or just not process. And then you know, so maybe there's an intelligence that's that's taking advantage of mm-hmm. you know something innate in us. Yeah. Right. Oh, that they, they know our code. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like it's like they have the human user manual, and so they know how to reset it. <laughs> well, I wish I had that user manual. <laughs> right. If I, I know. Right. Exercise would be so much easier if I had that user manual because it's like, how do I get rid of that gut? Okay. <laughs> so we talk about some of your favorite cases in the book, and I, I think the mysterious universe interview uh, when you talked about Damien Knott, and I didn't I didn't know anything about Damien Knott before, and really here about him is uh, that was that was a person that I was like, oh, my God, now I got to learn more about Damien Knott. And so can we uh, talk a little bit about uh, give a little preview about his personal experiences? Yeah. Um, so Damien is he's from Australia. Uh, so the book does cover like the whole globe. I, this isn't just a Western phenomenon we're dealing with. Um, mm-hmm. We sort of view it that way a lot. Uh, so. Damien was a little kid when he had his first experience, and uh, you're going to like this, Allison. This this has to do with the orb phenomenon. Um, we see this a lot in the, the quote-unquote ghost realm, but we see it in the UFO field as well. Um, and it's very prevalent right now. Uh, it seems to be uh, sort of an evolution of the phenomenon. We're not seeing flying saucers anymore. We're seeing these energies, these orbs, um, almost harking back to the day of the Foo Fighters, some of the first UFOs ever reported during World War II. Um, I, I'm totally getting off track. Um, no, 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 we, we <laughs> Stop me when I do this. Yeah. You know, when I was reading the book, you know, it was reminding me of the, the Will of the Wisp. And, yeah. you know, you know, maybe uh, that, maybe it's not extraterrestrials, maybe it's ultra-terrestrials, maybe it's the Fae. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't really know what it is. So I'm, I'm going to let you you go on because, you know, the Damien on that story and also others in the book have seen similar phenomena. So, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, tell us more. Uh, yeah, yes. we, I want to hear about the dingoes. The dingoes. <laughs> dingoes that ate the baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Damien, he's skateboarding home one day and he sees this orb just above him. And he can't tell what it is. Is it like, you know, is it a balloon? Is it this? Is it that? Um, and it follows him as he's skateboarding home. And it starts freaking him out. He's like, this thing is literally following me. Like, it's not just something I passed by. It is going to follow me home. Um, and it starts just, you know, dancing throughout the sky. And even at that young age, he he knows something's controlling this. Like, this isn't just some random electrical phenomenon. Like, this thing is following me. Um, and he freaks out. He tells his mom. She doesn't believe him. Uh, but these orbs, they just keep coming. And he starts seeing them all the time, everywhere. Uh, so, you know, what do you do at that point? Are you going crazy? Is this just, like, your young imagination? Um, but they just kept inviting themselves into his life. Did they have a message for him that like with the orbs trying to communicate with him or he just saw them? He just, as far as he told me, he just saw mm-hmm. them. There was okay. no sort of message like downloaded into his brain or anything like that. Um, I, I personally, guys, I believe that these phenomena are much more subtle. Um, when I hear stories of, you know, the blue aliens gave me this message to give to the people. Um, that's when I start sort of having to you know, step back and be like, uh, okay. Um, when people <laughs> say that City. they, yeah, when they have all the answers, that's when I think there's, you know, that's when you got to put the, uh, the alert button on. Um, but Damien, he never did that. He said like these things, they appeared when he was a kid, when he was a teenager, when he was 20 and they continue up until this day. And he sort of become this cultural icon in Australia and he will invite people to his home where these orbs are just all over the place like a local news station came to interview him and the entire news station including the cameraman not only caught these things on camera but everyone saw them and experienced them so whatever it is it's it's invited the, itself into his life and that was hard for him uh he the 
the anxiety and the anxious feeling of these things coming back time and time again and not knowing what they are or why they're there, uh, it really took a toll on him. Um, he became depressed. He became a shut-in at one point. Uh, but then he started seeking out other witnesses who, have, who had had uh, either paranormal experiences or UFO sightings in his hometown. And they... This is what happens, guys. These people, they create their own sort of support groups Mm -hmm. uh, where others will listen to them instead of calling them crazy or trying to debunk what it is. You know, oh, it's ball lightning or, um, you know, you had a little too much swamp gas, right? Swamp gas. Yeah. (laughs) Or as Uh, as, as Jesse, the body said in that one episode of the X-Files, what you saw was the planet Venus. (laughs) Yep. Well, Absolutely. And now people can see it for themselves because on Netflix, uh, they have Australian skies. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I, I was like, what? I can I can see these orbs. And yeah. so I, I was really excited to, to see them because, you know, online people are like, oh, they're just bugs. It's just this. It's just that. And, you know. Being in the paranormal field uh, for a while, you, you do see that. You do see, you know, like the, the whole purported rod phenomena. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that's bugs. But I got to say, with um, what I saw in the documentary, there's a quite a variety of phenomena that's been captured. Yeah. And, you know, of course, you know, when you're trying to capture everything, you might capture a bug here and there. But I'm telling you that. Uh, most of those are not bugs. Uh, you know, they're really lighted, multicolored phenomena. And, you know, I feel for them because it's really hard when you see something in the sky to capture it. You know, yeah. uh, you, you think that you can. You're like, look at that moon. That moon is the biggest moon I've ever seen. It's the super moon. You take a picture and, with your phone. It looks like crap. You're like, it like it somebody tossed like a dime up there in a flashlight. <laughs> right. It looks like the tiniest little dot. Yeah. So I, I really... You know, it, it's amazing that that he's been able to to capture, uh, you know, what he has, and you know that they were able to put that in a, out in a documentary. It's the government that told Apple to make the iPhones. Like the government did that, so we couldn't take UFO photos. Like, right. they, yeah. they, so this <laughs> is all obviously a, obviously a conspiracy. You know, and I think about that. Like, why why would they attach themselves to Damien without permission or anything? You know, it, are they studying him? Is it a, like a, a extraterrestrial reality show? Like. What are they, you know, you think about, has he had anything, you know, a lot of people that have experiences are like, well, the space brothers talk to me and they say they're bringing peace and Jesus is coming back, but he's stepping off a UFO this time. What did, uh, uh, what, what does Damien say? Do they have a message for the world or is he just like, dude, there's orbs in the sky. I don't know what it is. Have a beer. <laughs> I'm going to go with the latter, my man, for sure. Uh, Damien. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Oh, God, I could go for one of those right now. Mm-hmm. 10.30 a.m., why not? Um, hey, yeah. it's Christmas. Uh, he is one of the most modest people I've ever met. Um, he And I think he even says in that documentary, Allison, at one point, like, I'm not special. These people who say that I was chosen uh, to see these things and I, they wanted me to tell something. Uh, again, even Damien, as a deeply embedded UFO experiencer, says no. I'm not special. Like, this was happenstance. Um, While they may have invited themselves into my life, it's because I have invited them. I have let them in. And, you know, this has changed the entire course of his life. He, you know, he he will get the best equipment he can to try to record these things. And it's kind of a game. You know, it's a game between he and the phenomenon to see um, how they can interact with one another. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, he has no sort of message to impart to humanity. Um, but whatever these intelligence or these phenomena are, um, I think we're sort of working on their timetable, but Mm -hmm. they're also working on ours. Um, this is a disclosure to Damien. Um, I don't think we're ever going to get some sort of grand disclosure from the government about aliens or what UFOs are or aren't. Um, it is happening person by person and that's kind of what i try to convey in the book is these events are so isolated and so deeply personal in how they affect the person that it isn't some huge pattern that we're finding across the spectrum of people uh having these experiences the one thing they all have in common is it changed their lives in one way or another and that's what i found most important about focusing on the individuals rather than 
are they from the Pleiadian star system? Are they from Zeta Reticuli? Um, let's, let's work from the inside out. Let's work with how it affected the person, what they think it is. No one listens to these people on what they think mm-hmm. the thing that they experienced is. Um, it's always the, the writer or the, um, you know, the UFO expert theorizing what these people saw. No, I don't care what their opinion is. And a lot of people won't care what my opinion is. Let's hear from the people having the experiences, you know? I love it. That's so revolutionary. It's going to come from the people. (laughs) It is. It's the backbone of the study, you know? Right. And it's also uh, going through a different filter. Like we're so, you know, with Hollywood and with blockbusters and movies, we think that, okay, these aliens have to have some kind of uh, motivation, you know, because we were script writing one on one. Like, okay, what's the motivation? Well, what's yeah. the motivation behind the aliens? Like, they're aliens, man. They don't have human motivations. <laughs> you know, like you take something like Battlefield Earth by our Scientology man, L. Ron Hubbard, and like <laughs> yeah. Battlefield yeah. Earth, they just, the aliens in Battlefield Earth are just so very human. Right. Like all of the, every motivation is something that's based on uh, a human emotion. of, of And I'm not saying that aliens can't have that. I'm not even saying that Battlefield Earth is a bad, it's a horrible movie. I'm not saying it's a bad book. But what I am saying is that when we try to, it's, it's like putting our emotion onto an, your cat's not sad in the same way we get sad. You know, right. the dog's not uh, angry in the way that we get angry. Mm-hmm. An alien is not going to be greedy or, you know, in the same ways that we do because they have a, a completely unique experience. And so trying to put that motivation on there is pointless. So taking the study of, Okay, well, how did it affect that the guy that was just at the drive-in on a Friday night and saw something that, that stopped his car and that filled up the parking lot? Like, how does that affect the rest of his life? Because you think from that moment on, he knows that something is real out there. Yeah, 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 absolutely, man. I couldn't put it better myself. It's, it's putting that mirror up to ourselves and seeing how these, uh, these otherworldly or possible non-human experiences are affecting us um and like you said yeah these things they're not going to have the genetic makeup the uh the spiritual makeup or anything that we have we are we are earth we are humans uh we we may be evolved here we don't know that for sure but um (laughs) whatever these intelligences are uh if you look at the abduction phenomenon and how intrusive that is uh it is clear that they do not have the empathy we have, or they wouldn't be doing this to us, you know? Uh, maybe. Well, I don't know. We're no bastions of empathy, if you look no. closely enough. <laughs> no, that's, that is a very good argument, Allison. I cannot disagree with that. Um, yeah, but, but there's some, I mean, the, the thing doing, is, like, yeah. think about what we do to animals so when we, like, if we tag a deer or doing a research Absolutely. or something right. like that. There's also people on the other side of the spectrum who will, like, form, like, animal refuges or try to save, yep. you know, like, bunnies getting crap in their eyes from a cosmetics, you right. know, the Mary Kay Commandos, Bloom <laughs> County. But you think there'd be some aliens that'd be like, oh, my God, save the humans. Like, right. what can we do to save the humans? <laughs> so, I, I mean, I do think that if they, if they were able to experience it, at least some aliens aliens would show up and be like, okay, yeah, sorry about the anal probe thing. Yeah. <laughs> I feel shame. It's so outdated. <laughs> like, I, uh, well, like we got well, new technology now. You won't even feel a thing. Yeah. It's pretty much like what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago. We interviewed Jeff Holder about poltergeist and then we got into the Fey and that connection mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. how these beings, whatever they are, um, you know, be they, uh, extraterrestrial or ultra terrestrial, or we don't know what, uh, you know, they, they, they inhabit a different moral plane and then we can barely understand each other, <laughs> yeah. you know? So I lo- love your approach because it, it takes it from, well, what do we know? Well, mm-hmm. we know what, what the human uh, experiences or we can, yeah. if we look deeply enough. So um, really thank you for writing this book. And um, what do you think the next steps are for, for UFO investigation. So I I see an evolution happening in the UFO field, as it were, guys. Um, there's a lot of younger researchers cropping up, and it's very exciting. You know, um, we see this field as just old white men in their tweed suits, you know. Um, with distinguished beards. With distinguished beards. <laughs> and very <pipes>. good. Good. <laughs> good callback, my man. <laughs> um and it's 
it's not that engaging for a younger generation to be like, ah, these people are just old and arguing all the time. They're not going to listen to me. Um, which is not true. Uh, you know, you look at someone like Stanton Friedman or Peter Robbins. And uh, when I started my UFO research, you know, I was just throwing stuff at the wall to see if it would stick. And they're much more open than people give them credit for the old guard, as it were. And uh, mm-hmm. they are like, oh, I never thought about that. Uh, and a lot of them come from a very nuts and bolts uh, study of the phenomenon, you know, uh, trace evidence. Um, I, I need to see a a solid craft, that's it. That's all science is going to uh, look at, you know. Um, but I do see an evolution happening with the younger generation, and they're really starting to explore different uh, facets of it, you know, that human approach, the uh, consciousness even, you know, how we perceive the phenomenon. Uh, is it something, you know, so big and we can't perceive it as it actually is that we put these connotations on it? It's a flying disc. Uh, we've been subditioned for so long that that's what ufos are they're flying saucers so what we're seeing may not actually be a flying saucer but that's what our mind is gonna see it as um it's fascinating um so a lot of a lot of people in the ufo field now are looking at consciousness and what that might be able to tell us are we manifesting these things are we dreaming them up and they're happening uh you know jacques valet talks about this a lot um and he even brings up the whole idea of uh fey and you know fairies and that each generation or century has their own take on what aliens are um at one point it was fairies at one point it was this uh now we're you know the 80s and 90s we have these little gray aliens with big heads and black eyes uh what comes thank you whitley thank you whitley (laughs) yes thank you for that terrifying book cover that will always be singed into my mind right no it got us all it got us all you know um ryan i think i I love the idea that the evolution of that that we're changing it's almost like we're coming full circle and in, in the way that you know how uh people explored things in different centuries they would they took faith more seriously in the way of uh well these these faith experiences happen. People had religious, spiritual experiences, and that was something that was very real to them. And then when we got into the you know the age of reason and enlightenment and hard science, um, it'd be like, well, yeah, that faith stuff doesn't fly anymore. So I'm going to have to see a piece of the craft here to believe you. And now we're <laughs> we're coming around to we're coming around back when we understand that consciousness might be you know experiencing things at a different level than is material. Yeah. And you're like, okay, now we're coming back to maybe the people in the 15th century were right. And that's, and they were wrong. They're about rounding so, the Mobius strip once again. They were, yeah. they were wrong about so many things. You're just like, <laughs> yeah, but they also, you know, they also tried to put leeches, they also put leeches on you. Um, right. <laughs> and also, Ryan, I see you wearing a Blink 182 t shirt. Oh, is that uh, your yes. parent? Okay. <laughs> And Blank's, uh, you know, they got some great songs, but uh, Tom DeLonge, like, where does he, on, on the crazy scale, <laughs> where, where do you find him? <laughs> <laughs> um, I I was very against Tom DeLonge uh, when his first book came out, that fiction book about UFOs. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was a hindrance to the, the serious study of UFOs, disinformation, blah, blah, blah. That was me, you know, the angry, right. angry young ufologist being like, no. <laughs> No, but, I've been and, busting my butt to do this. Come on. <laughs> and and they sucked when they went mainstream, man. <laughs> they sold out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know what? Uh, especially with the Podesta email leaks, um, which involved Tom DeLong, which is crazy. It's crazy right. to think that the lead singer of Blink-182 is connected to like one of the biggest scandals in political history. Um, right. Like, how did he show up there? It's like, oh he's my been, God. Uh, I um, love it. But the thing is, those emails gave away the names of the informants that Tom DeLong's been speaking to about UFOs, oh, which wow. I find deeply fascinating. Um, I, I've sort of come around and um, I, I support Tom DeLong and what he's doing. While I'm weary of some of the information he's might being given by the military um, intelligence agencies, uh, He's sprinkling these little things here and there that I think can connect some dots within UFO history. Um, I, I don't think Tom DeLonge is bringing, he's not bringing anything new to the table in terms of ufology, right. but he's bringing things forward uh, that could really tell us a lot about what, what uh, happened in the past, how the U.S. military is involved with UFOs, and uh, 
what that might be. Uh, I look forward to what he's got. Um, the dude's got some clout, and he's clearly uh, flexing his muscles now with it. You know, he's committed. You know, I mean, he. I mean, he, whether he should be committed, but he is committed. <laughs> he is committed. And, well, I you know, there's like a whole show here. <laughs> oh, there is. A huge, yeah. <laughs> huge can of worms. We're, we're going to have to have you on again, definitely. definitely. We'll have to. We, we, and when we bring Ryan on, I think it'd be great even just to talk about Tom Long in the way that uh, bringing also uh, Robbie Graham from Silver Screen Saucers because he's the disinformation guy oh you know yeah. he really goes into how like how um the cia was manipulating hollywood into how we all think about ufos now um and how we think about area 51 and groom lake and all that kind of stuff sounds like a ufo roundtable to me it does sound like Absolutely. a ufo roundtable to me that'd be really fun but so uh, ryan thank you again for joining us and if people want to know more about your book find more about your work even go see when when you, when you got a play going on or something like that where can they find more information about you yeah, man. Um, uh, all my work can be found at somewhereintheskies.com. Uh, the book's available on Amazon, paperback, ebook. Um, so, yeah, get it as a last minute uh, Christmas present for, you know. Uh, oh, we're recording this after. Uh, Christmas has already occurred for next year, how about? It'll be out on Monday. And the thing is, like, if, if you forgot to get a Christmas yeah, the present mo- for the Monday there after we go. Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> if you forgot to get a Christmas present for somebody and you're like, oh, I don't know what to get them. Now you know what to get them. Get them Ryan Sprague's book. And because uh, proceeds are going to go to the uh, Women Refugee Commission. And uh, you're going to be supporting a an exciting new voice in UFO journalism. So uh, and you can find all this information, the links and everything like that. Quick and easy. Othersidepodcast.com slash one, two, four. And we're going to have links to all Ryan's stuff there. You can find it. So thanks again, Ryan. And thanks again, Allison. Thank Thank you. you Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Mike. Wow. What a nice guy. Yeah, I thought he was a really fun guest. And I like the fact that he had to sneak into his closet in order to be able to record uh, that's great because that was the only place in the in the room or in his apartment that he could do that didn't have echo. Yeah. I think. And I know because I've done that in every kind of room or you know every kind of thing. Right, depending on where you are and if it's time to record, it's time to record. So you know the professionals they know how to make it happen. And right, we appreciate that he did that. So also, um, I thought it was really neat hearing him talk about some of the people that we met at the Paradigm Symposium. Mm-hmm. Right. It was exciting. I was like, I'm like, if Randall Shum, then he's got to know Peter Robbins. And then he's like, yeah, Peter Robbins is like my mentor. Like, awesome. Because yeah. I, cool. I really was excited to meet Peter Robbins. And I can't wait to have him on the podcast and, and talk to him so we can go in deep on Randall Shum and explore yes, that. For sure. For sure. Well, with the new year coming up. Oh, 2017. I can't believe yeah. it. Yeah. A whole fresh new year. Yeah. We're starting to think of some topics and ideas for upcoming episodes. And if you, you, that's right, listener, I'm talking to you. Straight to your eardrums. If you have any ideas of things that you'd like to hear us talk about or people you'd like to hear us interview or anything like that, please do let us know. And you can do that by contacting us on Twitter at Other Side Talk, or you can email us show at OtherSidePodcast.com. You can send us a picture of a topic you want us to talk about at our Instagram. Other Side Podcast on Instagram. Or you can contact us directly. I'm at Sunspot Mike on Twitter and... I'm at Sunspot Wendy on Twitter. Yeah, so we're super easy to find. And we're looking for your input on cool shows that we can do in the year 2017. We're coming up on 125 shows. And we always need ideas from people like you who pay attention and listen to us. And there's so much out there that, you know, it's good to know what people want to hear about. You know, and uh, one of the things I liked about Ryan is that he's wearing a Blink-182 shirt in the conversation. (laughs) Because you guys can't see this at home, but on on Skype, we're video conferencing. And he's wearing his Blink-182 shirt. And then, of course, Tom. Now, if you guys don't know that, Tom DeLong was one of the singers of Blink-182, singer and guitar player. And he had his band Angels and Airwaves. And Tom DeLong has his own, like, theories about UFOs and contacts within the government. And he even showed up in the election this year because he had emailed John Podesta, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, about trying to get disclosure for UFOs. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And we've talked about John Podesta before because he's a big X-Files freak and he's always pushing for disclosure. And I I always thought that was weird because John Podesta was chief of staff in the 1990s for Bill Clinton. So, like, if there was disclosure to be had, you can't get any closer (laughs) to the president than the chief of staff. 
Yeah, no kidding. But it's also just funny to think about those worlds colliding of, you know, the political DC guy and then like the right. rock band singer. The dude from Blink-182, you know, like the guy on stage making poop jokes or whatever now is involved <sighs> in the political campaign. And uh, I haven't seen Blink. When did you see Blink One Eight Two live? I saw them live way back, like around the year two thousand. Right, probably when Ryan point. bought that shirt. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, the only reason I saw them was because uh, Weezer was opening for them, and I wanted oh, to see Weezer. Sweet. So, <laughs> and isn't it weird that Weezer? I mean, Weezer is an older band and a better band, and they're opening for Blink. <laughs> but did Tom DeLonge say anything about UFOs on stage? Was anybody like UFO disclosure? We want to know. No, 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 not at all. It was really, it was very uh, juvenile humor. It was very. Beavis and Buttheady up there. Okay, that sounds about right. <laughs> but nothing cool about UFOs. It's funny because he was supposed to be involved in the Blink-182. They had a Blink-182 reunion this summer. Ah. And they played Summerfest in Milwaukee. And instead of Tom DeLonge playing and being part of the reunion, and it's, it's a three-person band, right? So when you have a reunion of two people, right. it's it's... I don't know if it's a reunion or it's like a side. It's not like just missing the original bongo player. Yeah, that's strange. But they picked a guy from a Chicago band. Oh, and I can't think of the band right now. Punk band. Okay. Anyway, but um, they got a third guy in and Tom DeLonge said that he couldn't join the reunion because he was too busy working on his important UFO disclosure work. And Wow. Right. <laughs> So More important than rock and roll. That says something right there. <laughs> right. So that's why I thought, you know, it was a funny thing. And, and Ryan's wearing the Blink-182 shirt. And of course, he's talking about listening to the Green Day album. And for the song this week, you thought it would be good to kind of mix that because, you know, we were playing rock music in the 1990s and we were playing pop punk music in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. And if you guys want to hear uh, not only all of the songs that we've done for the podcast over the past couple of years. And we just crossed the 80th song we wrote for the podcast, Wendy. Wow. All right. so, I, like, last week we crossed the 80th, 80th song we wrote for the podcast. But if you guys want to hear all the music that we've been putting together for a couple of decades now, you can see that at our Bandcamp site, sunspot.bandcamp.com. And there's 150, 160 songs. So it's really, you have a gigantic amount of music that you can listen to and enjoy uh, at that site. And for this week, since we grabbed that pop punk kind of idea and Green Day and Blink-182, we thought it would be cool to have our most kind of 90s punky song uh, for that. And it also kind of fits in with the... uh, the attitude of his human approach to UFOs and and the idea that the people that experience these things really have to have a lot of, uh, not necessarily self-esteem, but they have to really stand up for themselves against the world. Oh, yeah. Against the world that's not going to believe them and that's going to think they're totally bonkers. (laughs) And that's what the song this week kind of talks about. And it's called Intellectual Terrorists. Intellectual terrorists are poisoned in my head They want to break down my resistance Have my conscience left for dead They like to make you think that they're the righteous ones They'll beat you down and call you names for sticking to your guns You won't replace my sensibility With your over-anxious, overloaded, over-sensitivity And if you look you will find a rather sorry state of mind Of all the people who won't stand up for their views And if you look, you might see you don't have to agree with me But I won't close my mind for you It's easy to be blind, it's easy to be led You like to cop up all the ideas that you've been forced no one likes the freak, no one likes the odd man out I'd rather live my life alone Than live a life without I won't let you force yourself on me I refuse to be a victim To your society And if you look You will find a rather sorry state of mind Of all the people who won't stand up for their views And if you look you might see you don't have to agree with me But I won't close my mind for you 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Well, a special Happy New Year wish going out to our Patreon community. Patreon community. We yes. love you guys. You're the best. Yes. We want to thank you for making 2016 really wonderful and showing your support that way. And a special thanks to Ned. Ned. Thanks, Ned. He's at the level where he gets a shout out every single episode. You could be at that level, too. Uh, but we do <laughs> love all our Patreons. And uh, thank you very much for making this an awesome 2016. And we'll see you next year. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about the anal probe thing. <laughs>